Good morning. Uh, my name is Ian McIntosh, in case we haven't met. Uh, I'm on the preaching team here at Flight, and it's such a privilege to get to, to be here with you guys this morning on this special day. And um, I know I'm, I'm blessed to get to be here with all the other moms. I'm not a mom, and you know, my mom lives far away, and my, my wife is currently doing ministry across town, but um, it's awesome that we get to be together as, as God's family. So thanks for being here this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a story that is, uh, it's called The Road to Emmaus by a lot of people, and it's because there are some people that are walking on a road towards Emmaus. So it's, you know, wonderfully named. But when we look at this story this morning, I want us to, to look at how we can see this as an example of our own Christian journey. So you might um, be at any variety of stages in your Christian journey. For, for a lot of people, when they begin walking with Christ, uh, they might think that Jesus is going to be the, the solution to all their problems, Right? Boy, life is horrible. I have all this stress. I have all this relational difficulty. I have all these, uh, you know, whatever burdens of life just caving in on me. I come to Jesus and, oh, I can lay my burdens down, right? Like, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And we have this sort of exchange. And, and we might think Jesus is going to be maybe that, that genie that just gives us the, the wish, the desire of our heart, right? And, and life is going to be so much better now that I have come to be walking with Jesus, and it may be that if that was the, the way that you entered into Christianity, to, to following Jesus, that, um, that you encountered some disappointment somewhere along the way. Because you might have realized, wow, life is still hard. <laughs> and I heard a, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, life is still hard even after following Jesus. In fact, for many people, life becomes more difficult and, and I, I think that part of the reason for that is because now I have this, this new challenge of dying to myself. See, Jesus did say, uh, take my yoke upon you, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. But he also said, take up your cross and follow me. That would be like saying, take up the electric chair and follow me. I mean, I have to die to myself. And so Jesus is not so much the genie that, that is going to solve all my problems and make every wish come true. He, he, he wants to be so much more than that. He wants to be the center of my everything. So I have the privilege of dying to my own agenda and allowing him to live his agenda out through me. Now, that doesn't maybe sound as fun as having a, a genie that we can go to and have every wish fulfilled, but it is way more fulfilling. And so maybe, maybe in your own life, you, uh, you haven't even really began that walk with Jesus yet, and you, you've heard of him, you know of him, but, but that, and in terms of that relationship with Jesus, maybe you haven't began that. So this morning, no matter if you've if you've been through that whole process and you've said, yeah, I, I thought he was going to be the, the magic genie and now I'm realizing I have to die to myself, or maybe, uh, maybe you haven't realized that yet and you're still viewing him as that genie, or, or maybe 
you haven't really began walking with him yet. And wherever you are in that process, I hope that this morning God will allow us to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have that, that real intimate encounter, that real meaningful experience with him, uh, living life with him as the center of our everything. Because I have found that that is, that is the best way to live. That's when life is fulfilling. That's when all of my problems come into perspective. You know, when, when the car won't start and I have to, you know, drop everything and leave work and go rescue my wife um, because she's stranded in the middle of a parking lot and blocking traffic, uh, I can thank God. <laughs> and and, and r- rather than saying, oh, God, why did you do this to me? I can say, wow, God, thank you that I get this opportunity to lay my life down and, and let you love people through me. Which, by the way, that happened a couple days ago. <laughs> and it was awesome. We got to push the car. Yeah, she's strong. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. So uh, that is, for, for me, I have found that it is so true that living with Jesus as the center of my everything is so fulfilling and way better than, than what I might have thought it was when I first began following Jesus. So let's take a look at this story. It's found in Luke chapter 24. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, then I would invite you to grab one from, the, uh, from in front of you or, or behind you if you're in the front row. And if you don't have one to call your own, please take that one. We'd love for you to have a Bible that you could call your own. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Uh, so there... The New Testament, which is, uh, it begins with Matthew and then Mark and Luke and John. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was writing this account of the life of Christ. And uh, he did a whole lot of research, interviewing eyewitnesses of what he wrote about. And we pick up the story here right after, well, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday morning. The... um, The women had gone to the tomb and found it empty. They had been told that Jesus had been resurrected. And they went back and told the disciples. And the disciples were like, what? And they went and checked it out and found the tomb was empty, but Jesus wasn't there. So so these story, this story, these events take place on that same day. And and we know this because beginning in verse 13, um, it says now that same day. So see how I figured that out? (laughs) Bible education paying for itself right there. So let's begin reading the story in in Luke chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking with each other. uh, I'm sorry, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That would be the death, burial, resurrection, it was when Jesus was arrested and put on mock trial, crucified. They they were probably just debriefing, like, "Yeah, can you believe the week we've had?" You know, and just just talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. <laughs> Now, I don't want to read too much into it, but this story just cracks me up. Like, I, I, see, I see some humor in Jesus here that, and you might not see it this way, and that's fine. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, I, I see it this way, and there are a lot of different ways to interpret stories, but, 
But Jesus just like, for whatever reason, they don't recognize him. And he just kind of comes walking up and he's like, hey, what you guys talking about? (laughs) This is the resurrected Jesus. This is Jesus who had been in the tomb and now is alive again. He defeated death and hell and sin and, and they are heartbroken. And he comes up and says, hey, what you guys talking about? And they're just walking along. And, uh, <laughs> and it says, um, they stood still, their faces downcast. They're walking along. They've got seven miles to cover, and they just stopped. It says they stood still, and their faces downcast. <laughs> and then it says, one of them, named Cleopas, asks him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? It's like, what, are you living under a rock? Everyone in Jerusalem knows what, what's going on. Like, what else would we be talking about? It'd be like the, the assassination of JFK, and then you go to work, and then, or, or 9-11, you know, you go to work the next day, and people are hanging out at the water cooler, and you walk up, and you go, hey, what are you guys talking about? It's like, uh, Really? <laughs> What else would we be talking about? So, so Cleopas is like, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been happening these last few days? Verse 19, Jesus, what things? <laughs> and he, he just, now, he knows. He, he is not seeking information here. Okay, he's not, he's not trying to be informed. He's asking them to express it to him. He's inviting them into a conversation I think that is so important. So then, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. And now look at verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, the, the Jews had been living under the oppression of, of the Roman government for quite some time, and they were hoping that the Messiah would come. They were hoping that God would send the one that would redeem and restore Israel to its past glory, that they would not have to suffer under the Roman oppression anymore, but that they could be reestablished as, as God's chosen people, holy and loved and redeemed and proud to be who they were. There are times when I'm walking through life and life just kind of doesn't go the way I want it to. Tragedy happens. Choices are made. And I get discouraged. And I may be tempted to say, I totally thought God was on my side. But I'm not feeling that right now. I had hoped that he would be the one that would fill in the blank. So they're just being real with him here. Notice, of course, they don't know it's him. <laughs> in, in pastoral ministry, I've learned that um, if, there's a, if, if I ever want to shut down a conversation, just tell them, you know, that I'm a pastor. I, I'm not vocationally a pastor anymore, but I was for 10 years, and it's a great way to end a conversation. What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor cool, yeah, I used to go to church. Yeah, my, my, my uncle's cousin was a pastor. 
<laughs> so, so Jesus disguises himself, maybe because he just wants them to speak freely. I don't know. I don't know why he, he doesn't let them see him, but they are speaking from their heart. That's the point here. We had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And that implies very clearly disappointment, doesn't it? We had hoped, meaning we don't have hope anymore. What is more, it's the third day since all this has taken place. In addition, some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. Uh, they had gone to the tomb to, to finish the burial rites with the spices and the ointments because there wasn't enough time when they took Jesus down off the cross and entombed him. There wasn't enough time before Sabbath came. So they were going to go finish the job um, um, that morning. And so it says, They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb. We know that to be Peter and John from, from other uh, passages. Uh, and we found that it was just as the women had, or they found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So there's that disappointment. We had hoped that he would be the one. The women went to the tomb. They found it empty. They were told that Jesus was resurrected. Our buddies went to check it out. They couldn't confirm it. They didn't see his resurrected body. He's standing right next to them. And they don't know. I wonder what his facial expression was like. Oh, really? <laughs> Tell me more about this. I mean, just, oh, I wish I could have been there. <clears throat> I, I want for each of us to consider disappointment. See, I want to live like Jesus is the center of my everything. I want to die to my own agenda and live with him, living his agenda through me. Anything else, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. If I want my own agenda, if I live with myself as the starting point of me, I'm going to be disappointed. But if, if every morning when I wake up, I say, God, I want to, to not be about myself. I want you to live your life through me today. I want to be your hands and your feet wherever I go today. If I can live with that perspective, allowing his life to be lived through me, then how, how could I possibly be disappointed? When my wife's car breaks down, I can say, okay, I get to go be Jesus to my wife. Awesome. Thank you, God, for that. That's cool. But they were disappointed because they had their agenda. They had their expectation. And I don't mean to be down on them. There are so many times that I, I get caught up in my own perspective and my own agenda. Their agenda was Jesus is going to rescue us from Rome. He's going to reestablish Israel in, in its former glory. And they were disappointed. So now he begins to... Uh, turn the conversation. He's been listening to them, drawing out from them what was in their heart. And now he begins to speak to them. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Now remember, this Jesus speaking these words to them had been teaching them for over three years, telling them the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be crucified, but don't worry, three days later, I will come back from the dead. I will defeat death. It's what I'm here to do. He had been explaining that to them over and over and over. They didn't get it. And again, I don't want to be quick to judge. It makes sense to us because we've maybe heard it before. We know it to be true, but for them, people don't come back from the dead. People don't raise themselves from death. That, what do you, maybe he means it spiritually. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but it, it, it didn't sink in during those three years. And so he says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe everything the prophets have spoken. And maybe he was admonishing. I don't think he was scowling or yelling, but again, I, I wasn't there. I don't know the tone of his voice, but from what I know of the heart of God, it seems that he was encouraging, admonishing uh, in a loving way, like, oh, you guys, don't you get it? You know, maybe that sort of way. I don't know. Did not, uh, verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses would be Uh, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So beginning with that, and then all of the prophets, um, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow. (laughs) What a Bible study that would have been. Oh my goodness, I wish I could subscribe to that podcast. (laughs) That would be so cool. Jesus is telling them, about how the Bible points to Jesus. Oh, that's cool. He opens up, I, I don't know, hypothetically, he opens up Genesis chapter three, the, the fall of Adam and Eve. And, uh, and, and maybe when it says that, uh, that they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves to cover their sin, because they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. They had been naked all along, but sin brought shame. So they tried to cover that sin in their own effort. And then it says that God covered them in the skins of an animal. Last time I checked, animals don't give up their skins willingly, so it probably means that an animal was killed. Okay, again, Bible education, good, good logical reasoning there. And so maybe this was the first sacrifice to atone for sin. Maybe Jesus would have said, hey, that is a foreshadow of, of the Messiah who would die for the sins of mankind. And then maybe just a few verses later, when it talks about how uh, God was pronouncing judgment against the, the woman and the serpent and the man, and, and he says to the serpent uh, that, that you, know, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Referring to the, the descendants of the woman, the descendant singular of the woman, Jesus, who would be bruised for a few days, but would deal a death blow to Satan. Maybe Jesus pointed to that verse and said, hey, this is talking about the Messiah. And then maybe a few chapters later with um, Abram, with his promised son, Abraham, and he goes up uh, obedient to God in faith to, to kill his son, to, to sacrifice his son to God as God had, had instructed him. And, and, and he lays his son down on the on the altar, and he, he, he gets the knife, and he's just about ready to go through with it, obedient to God. And, and we know from other passages that it says that Abraham believed that God 
would provide a way, and even if not, that God was capable of bringing him back from the dead. So Abraham, in this incredible obedience, just about to do it, and God stops him and says, wait. And then there's a ram with its horns caught in the bushes to make that the sacrifice instead. And so right there in that picture, we see Abraham's only son being placed willingly on the altar, giving his life, just like God's only son willingly going to the cross. And yet we also see the ram in the thicket being the substitution for that sacrifice, getting, dying in the place of Isaac. Um, and so we see Jesus in the ram also. And so maybe Jesus would have turned to that and said, hey guys, I- I'm like, not I'm because they don't know it's him yet, but the Messiah is represented in this ram. The Messiah is represented in Isaac. And who knows how many different stories, just in Genesis alone, that Jesus would have told and pointed to the Messiah. You know, Joseph going down into, we, we could do a whole sermon series on how, on how, just in Genesis alone, how it points to the Messiah, to Jesus. What a fun Bible study that would have been. So when you read the Old Testament, don't let it become just a collection of boring stories or whatever. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus there because he says, right, right there in verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. When I read the Old Testament, I need to be asking, Jesus, where are you in this story? And I don't need to bend it to the point of breaking and force it to say something that's not there, but I want to be looking for it because it was apparently there oftentimes. So then verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go farther. He's playing with them. They're walking along and great conversation, great Bible study. And they're, they're going, and he's like, well, okay, we'll see you guys later. And, and they're like, ah, ah, no, wait, come with us. It, it, it's getting dark, you know. Um, let's, let's go have dinner. We'll buy a dinner. Let's, let's keep talking. You know, with, he, he's just like, do, 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 do. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> so... They urged him strongly, stay with us, it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. Now it says, as they approached the village uh, to which they were going, so they were, they're in Emmaus at this point, and it, uh, let's see, seven miles, I don't know, some of you out there that are runners, you might be able to do that in less than an hour, but they weren't running, they were walking. This would have been a good, you know, four plus hours, depending on how how hefty their, their pace was. What a fun walk that would have been. So they urged him strongly, stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in uh, to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Maybe because this was reminding them of the Lord's Supper, the the Passover meal that they had together when he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. 
So seeing, because um, we know similarly, like from John 21, when, uh, when Jesus, again, they don't recognize him, and then he says, hey, how's the fishing going? Scott preached on this a while ago, and, and then, uh, and then um, he says, well, try, try casting your nets over there. And the, in that moment, they realize, oh, it's Jesus, because he had done that before. So maybe there's some kind of combination between the, the recognition of the event and, and him you know, supernaturally deciding, okay, I'll let you recognize me now. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that works. But, uh, but at this point, they realize it's him, and he's gone. That wasn't, there we go. <laughs> and he's gone. It, it says they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, that's so anticlimactic. I mean, they're walking seven miles with him. They don't know it's him. They're having this great conversation, this great Bible study, and once they realize it's him, he's gone. Oh, but if I would have known, I would have... Wow. Huh. Why would he disappear from their sight right then? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do think that at that moment, they had the truth that they needed to have. They knew Jesus was resurrected. See, the women had gone back to the tomb. They didn't see the body. And so they were discouraged. They were disappointed. They had lost hope because they could not verify that what they were told was true was actually true. He see, they see him for who he is. Now they have that hope. Now they know that everything that he's been teaching them along this walk is actually true, that Messiah did raise from the dead. They've seen it. And then it says they, turned, they, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like, oh, no wonder that was such a great message. <laughs> it was Jesus. Wow. And then they got up and returned at once. Now, this would have been the, you know, the seven-minute mile right there, like run, running, running seven miles back to Jerusalem. You know, who knows? Maybe they left the food right there on the table. We've got to get back to Jerusalem. And they found the 11, uh, the, the apostles, and those with him assembled together. Now, the 11, they're probably in the upper room or something hanging out. And, um, and they were saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. That would be Peter. So they saw Jesus. They, they're like, dude, we walked with him. We ate with him. He gave us a cool Bible study. We got to go tell everybody. So they go running back to Jerusalem and they get there. They, you know, burst in. Can't wait to tell them they saw Jesus. And then they're all talking. Peter saw Jesus. And they're like, we saw Jesus. <laughs> and so they're all just having this really cool, like comparing notes time right here. And, and then it says, uh, verse 35, the, the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so Jesus had a busy afternoon here. He's walking with them. He's appearing to Peter. He's appearing to the women. You know, I mean, he was, um, he was making it known that he was not defeated by death. He was appearing, giving people that, that confidence that they needed. What a great story. And in, in this story, I see an example of my journey with Jesus, where, where I go from being that person who wants him to, to make me happy, to make me feel good, to where I could live with him as the source of my everything. 
there are, there are two basic steps that I see happening here. Um, so, so let's take a look at it. It's, it's pretty simple, and that's, that's okay. Uh, and so if you, have your, if you have your insert, you know, this would be a, a time for you to jot some thoughts down if you want to. Um, the first one here is uh, I need to express my heart to Jesus. I need to express my heart to Jesus. This is how I can have an intimate encounter with him when he becomes the center of my everything. I need to express my heart. See, these guys, they were, they were, they were open with Jesus. They were telling him, man, we're disappointed. Of course, like I said, they didn't know it was him. They might not have been as open if it was. I don't know. But they were, they were telling him facts and feelings. And see, in my mind, I hear that and I think, well, Jesus already knows everything. He knows when I'm discouraged. He knows when I'm tempted. He knows when I would rather choose something that he doesn't want me to choose. Um, he knows when I'm angry. So why should I tell him? I mean, he already knows, right? How about I tell him because he already knows? It's one thing for me to say, well, yeah, he knows. But it's another thing for me to to approach Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to tell you what I'm feeling right now. I'm, I'm angry. And he's not going to go, well, shame on you, blah, 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 blah. He's going to say, yeah, I know. Because he does know. See, he wants me to be open with him about what's on my heart and my mind. It's really pointless to try to hide it from him anyway because he does know. But it's also pointless for me to assume, well, he knows, so I don't need to say it. It's like um, I heard someone joke once um, in in reference to when they got married and, and their wife and everything, and, and their wife is like, you know, she's always telling me she wants me to tell her I love her, but it's like I, I told her when we got married, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. That's uh, <laughs> not okay, guys. Not okay. But she knows I love her, but I should still tell her, Right? So Jesus knows I love her, him. <laughs> Jesus knows I'm angry. He knows I'm disappointed. He knows I'm frustrated. But boy, he wants me to tell him. He, I, I see the way he was drawing this out of them. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey, guys, what you talking about? Jesus just wants me to sit down and talk to him. And if I can express my heart to him in that way, then I begin to have that connection Okay, step number two. I need to treat it like it's a relationship, not just a ritual. And see, that's what it means to have that meaningful encounter with Jesus, is to treat it like it's a relationship. If, if when I approach the Bible, it's just a ritual, I'm like, well, I need to check off the box in my Bible app to make sure I did my reading for today. So I'll do my reading. Okay, reading, reading, check. And then, O oh Lord, thou art 
amazing in thy amazingness. Wouldst thou come and bless me, thine servant? And if that's the way you want to talk to him intimately, that's fine. I don't mean to be mocking that. But how many times do we approach it like it's a ritual? See, when, when I talk to Jesus, I want to actually talk to Jesus. When I talk to God, I want to be aware that I'm having a conversation with the lover of my soul who wants to be everything to me. I want to be open with him. I want to be able to say, God, I'm tired. I just want to break. Like, if I can say that to my wife, why can't I say that to him? I need to be honest with him. And I need to treat it like it's a relationship, not just some ritual where I check the box or something. And in that relationship, I mean, we see the example here in this text. They were walking with him. They were eating with him. They were having a conversation. When, when I go running, um, I have conversation, sometimes with other people, if I'm running with other people, uh, sometimes with Jesus, if I'm not running with other people. Sometimes I have conversation with Jesus when I'm running with other people, and all three of us talk. But why does it have to be any different? I want to be deeply aware of his presence and his um, interest in me. And so when we sit down for a meal as a family, we should be aware that he is part of our conversation. When we're driving to school or work, we should be aware that he wants to be part of that conversation. When we're making decisions that affect our life, we should be aware that he wants to be part of that conversation. When we're just feeling really upset with each other, we should be aware that he wants to be part of that conversation. And when we do that, we will find, by his grace, that we are able to die to ourselves and uh, eagerly desire for him to really be the center of everything that, that moves us. It's easier said than done, and it takes, uh, takes practice like anything worth doing, but just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not worth it. And I've been learning that, that there's joy in the process, not so much in the, in the destination. So, so daily I get to practice this, and some days I'm more able to do it than others. But like Rita said earlier, he's always right there ready to, um, to encounter me when I turn to him. And so no matter where you're at in that process, I would encourage you, to, to ask Jesus. I, I left a few little blanks on, on your notes there for you to consider what does it mean for me uh, to be open with him, to be honest with him about what's going on in my mind and in my heart. What does that mean? Realizing that he knows every thought. He knows every feeling. So what does it mean for me to engage him in that conversation, in that relationship, and express that to him? And then what does it mean for me to enter into that relationship? Maybe go on a walk with him. Maybe write him a letter. 
Write them a little love note and stick it in your Bible. I don't know. I mean, look for ways to, to be real in that relationship with him. And it, it may be that, um, that you've not really entered into that relationship with Jesus. And, and I want to tell you, he um, conquered sin. He conquered death. He is that, that substitution for my death. The, the sin that I have committed has earned me death, eternal separation from God. But I don't have to experience that because he came and died in my place. And all I have to do is be willing to accept that and then ask him to live in my place. And then I can begin this journey. And I don't have to be perfect at it. I just have to be willing. So if, if that's you, then I would encourage you this morning to um, come talk to me or Scott or someone that you came with and ask, what does it mean to, um, to walk with Jesus? What does it mean to live life with him as a starting point instead of myself? Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for sending your son to die the death that I deserve. Thank you for giving me new life, um, not just in eternity in the future, but even now, that every day I can experience that life that you want me to live, that, that meaningful relationship with you that you have designed for each one of us. And God, I would pray that you would enable us to walk this life with you at the center of it. God, I pray that you would help us in taking those steps of being intimate with you, of allowing you to have that meaningful connection with us, of being honest with you in our hearts and being real with you in the way that we live life. Thank you for this story that we can see the example of it here. In Jesus' name, amen.